Hello, this is Graham Plaster, CEO of the Intelligence Community, Inc. and uh, theintelligencecommunity.com. I'm here with Lewis Tucker, uh, who is the founder of The Find, the Foundation for Innovation and Discovery. Welcome, Lewis. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate being with you. So um, the purpose of this podcast is to interview people that are connectors, movers, shakers across the defense and innovation ecosystem. And uh, The Find is a really interesting and um, powerful organization. I'm going to let Lewis talk about it. But before we get into that, I want to ask you if you could just sketch us a little bit of your background, uh, Lewis, so people understand where you come from. Sure, happy to. Um, thanks again for having me, Graham. I'm a, a local boy to the area. I was reared in uh, Montgomery County in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, so I grew up here from the age of about four onwards, then went to school up north in New Hampshire at Dartmouth. And um, when I first got out of college, I had a one-year failed Internet startup while I was waiting to get into the military, and, and we tried to convince business you could actually sell products uh, off a computer screen and, and failed miserably at convincing them of that, believe it or not. We were about 18 months too early uh, when everybody started to jump on board and put their, their products and supplies online. Uh, but that was fine for me because I got to do what I wanted to do, which was go into the SEAL teams and started SEAL training in January 97 and uh, was active duty for a couple deployments and then was on a, what they call a shore tour here in Washington when 9-11 happened. And with the, uh, with the follow-on of that, the SEALs um, knew they needed support from Congress, so they had me working in the congressional liaison office there for the next year and a half traveling with senators abroad on their trips as their travel escort and connecting them with program managers uh, in the Pentagon. But what I really wanted to do at that point was get back in the field, as you can imagine, um, you know, soon after 9-11. So ironically for me, the quickest way back in the field was to resign from the active force in the SEAL teams, stay reserve, and go across the street to CIA, who was taking guys with my types of skills and putting us right into the uh, – uh, conflict zones. So I did that for a couple of years um, in 2003 and four. I really enjoyed the job, but with two kids and a third on the way, after about a decade of being gone all the time, uh, it was time to not be gone all the time and be a better uh, father and husband. Uh, so I looked for a way to transition um, to stay in, in the national security environment, but be back. And for me, that the door that opened was um, to be chief of staff to a senator in 2005 and then from 2006 to 11 to serve as the minority staff director for the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. So my boss was uh, Senator Kit Bond from Missouri. And he had announced uh, two years prior to his, the end of his term he was going to retire. So uh, I knew I had two years left, uh, 2009 and 10. And when General McChrystal came through uh, for confirmation for, uh, to take over the operations in Afghanistan, he asked if I would mobilize and, and be with him in Afghanistan uh, as part of his strategic advisory group. So I did that in 2009, and uh, I was back by 2010 for Senator Bond, so you know, we could close out things there. And then I made the big transition out of government after my whole time since college pretty much in government uh, in 2011. Uh, doing what I do today and have been doing for the last seven years, which are various uh, roles and capacities as an advisor, strategist, connector, uh, consultant. So I have um, 
some advisory roles inside the U.S. government um, where I help uh, the intelligence community and the special ops community. I'm still an active uh, reservist in SEAL teams, and uh, I have a uh, for-profit um, consulting company uh, where I provide industry um, whiteboard advice to understand the community at a strategic level. And what I, what I do with them is um, everything short of lobbying, um, so I don't want to uh, cross any, any, any lines that the lawyers have given me and what I can and can't do because of the different hats that I wear. So I'll, I'll basically just give them uh, advice on how to understand the community and where to stop wasting their time and to point them in the right direction. And then the last thing is that I do is the find, which um, you want to hear more about uh, today. And so I started yep. the find in 2013, at the end of 2013, basically just uh, sending notes out to folks that I knew in the community and folks I thought might be interested, government, industry, and academia. And we had, I think it was about 550 people show up. Uh, and I quickly realized that I needed to uh, change the model and uh, scale it down, uh, particularly since I was at that point just paying for it myself as a kind of a service to the community. So what was the purpose the of the get-togethers at that time? Yeah, so the find has seven missions, um, and they're on the website, which is finnd.org. Um, but if you want to sum them all up, it's bring together government, industry, and academia um, to share ideas in a non-proprietary environment um, so we can uh, innovate on national security problems. And that means, that means a whole host of things and, and things that have spawned out of that. But the idea was get good people in the room together that I knew in each of these communities and see where that led us. And so what that has practically meant from uh, 2014 forward with our model is to have uh, monthly forums where we have either a single speaker, and we call that a find talk, or we have a, a panel of leaders, which we call a find forum. And that's here in uh, the Tyson's Corner area in Northern Virginia. Or we will do, or, or I should say ands, uh, the second thing, we will do our occasional discovery summits. And that's where we will, uh, for the U.S. government, uh, be a screening of startups and capabilities that the government may not be aware of. And we'll put a bunch of uh, information in front of the government, and they'll tell us what they find interesting. And then we'll host a day for the government where the companies will come in and explain what they do. And then the government, um, if they're interested, will have follow-ups with them. And we as the nonprofit um, just run that event for them. And then anything they do thereafter is through their own BAAs or their own uh, contracting mechanisms. So it's the monthly forums, and then it's the uh, you know, occasional larger summits. And for the forums, yeah. we're mainly focused on the intelligence community, but also the special ops community, which are my two backgrounds. Um, so sure. we'll have everyone from high-level folks, like last month we had Sue Gordon, uh, the PD&I, um, down to lower-level folks. Uh, I, think, I believe it was two months ago or so we had the G8 from the 1st Special Forces Command come up from Fort Bragg, and so he's just an 05 in the military, and you know, he's talking specific requirements for Special Forces uh, guys on the ground. Uh, next month, or excuse me, actually next week, we have uh, a space panel where we have the DASD for Space Policy, Steve Kate. Um, we have uh, one of the uh, leads at NRO, Lou Pullman, and then two folks from industry joining us on a, a panel. So in that case, we have 
you know, four folks, and then I think next month we have the, the lead for the uh, SEAL community uh, and the Navy Requirement Shop coming up to talk. So it's a real kind of potpourri of throughout the community. Uh, we usually have um, at least one event each year from one of the big five intelligence agencies, and then um, uh, special ops, and then Pentagon, and even occasionally we'll have a congressional panel or something like that. Uh, but the the value that people like about uh, those meetings is it is a uh, a scaled down, if you will, intimate um, uh, Chatham House rules uh, conversation with uh, people that that you know move out that, that don't just read the talking points, but they actually uh, follow through with things. And so, so when we started this, I went to the big organizations like FCA and INSA and the others, and explained the model to them and said, you know, look, we're not trying to compete at all with what you do. You guys are the big elephants in the room. We're the small fly. And, uh, you know, we're just going to do these few uh, targeted things and would love you to support it. So we actually had uh, the VP for FCA and then uh, now the executive director for INSA jump on our advisory panel. So they actually come to our meetings and help support it and even recommend speakers to it. So it's been a real collaborative uh, run within the community in that regard. Yeah, that's great. And you're on several boards and panels as well, aren't you? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's, it's so a it's small world in the community. So pollination. Yep. Well, I mean, that's appropriate, right? Because we see so many uh, potential um, duplications and silos happening. So it's, I think it's terrific. I've heard some people complain about uh, when we show up to different events in D.C., uh, some people have complained, saying, oh, I keep on seeing the same faces. And I said, well, that that's actually kind of a good thing. It means that there is some crosstalk happening. Um, you have to have somebody who's willing to attend a lot of different events, you know, uh, to, right. to circulate the, the information. Yep, yeah, and you'll thank find, you, you know, thank different... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you'll find different flavors of folks at the different events, so you know, it's, it, the uh, the overlap can be helpful sometimes. It's You'll never find the exact same crowd at the exact same event is, is what I've found. Yeah. So so that's terrific. Yeah, the pedigree of the speakers at uh, find events have been um, the best, absolutely the best. And um, I can't recommend them enough to people who listen to the podcast. Uh, can you explain a little bit how people can uh, attend an event or how they become a member of the find? Sure, yeah. So the, the venue of the find is uh, paid for now by um, annual membership fees uh, that industry pays. Government can always come um, whenever they want. And, um, and what I'll let people do is come uh, a couple times just as my guest to check it out first before they'd ever have to pay anything to see what they think. So we have a fair you know, amount of flow through. And um, those that come and like it and say, hey, this is great, I want to keep coming, then we ask them to ask their companies to um, to join as an annual member. Um, but we've been, uh, you know, very open as far as people that want to just come and check it out and see what it is, we'll let them come. We don't allow media to come. I think we had media once at the request of a speaker for a very unusual reason. But uh, normally there's no media, and the, cl- the crowd is lightly vetted, uh, meaning even though it is an unclassified forum, I've got to know um, – if not the person coming, how they came or someone through who they came, um, just as far as uh, wanting to know that they are associated with an established uh, business, company, entity, government agency, so you just don't have someone just walking off the street, you know, uh, like, you know, Chinese intelligence and tell, <laughs> telling me they're whoever they want to tell me. 
Um, right, but, right. you know, there's nothing that can ultimately stop that. Uh, but uh, it's a lightly vetted crowd. And what that does is it gives the speakers a lot of confidence. So we found that the speakers usually, almost always, are the last ones to leave, which, which I've found very unusual at other events in town where they'll come in, they'll give their talk, and they'll go. At find events, they'll stay, and they'll, you know, mm-hmm. exchange cards and talk, and then folks will kind of, um, you know, filter out after they've talked to who they want to talk with. But we also provide a, a standing buffet dinner, and there's a, a cash bar, so it's just a really nice environment, um, you know, during the yeah. dinner hour there at the end of the day. Yeah, I would I would definitely put stomp the intimacy of those events because um, I've been to several, and for the pedigree of your speakers, I am definitely impressed with the um, the proximity of the uh, the audience to uh, the speaker. You know, basically uh, fireside chat styled uh, presentations with direct uh, Q and A sessions or um, extended Q and A. So, um, without belaboring it, I, I'll just say that uh, I love your events and uh, I think that you're not going to go to the park. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, they can, you know, go to find.org, F-I-N-N-D.org to look at more, click on the events tab. They can see all the events for the last five years. And then they can email me at, uh, you know, Lewis, L-O-U-I-S dot Tucker, T-U-C-K-E-R at find.org, and and I'll give them an invite and they can come check it out. Do you have um, any mechanism for um, innovative companies that are not going to be joining or attending events? Uh, for them to join your network and participate somehow? Yeah, we do. So if you go to the FIND website, on the front page of the website, there are two short video um, videos there that explain how Discovery Summits work. And that's really how we build what we call the Finder Network. So uh, a company could go there, check that out, uh, sign up as a Finder, which anybody can do um, on the website for free. And then they'll be on the finder list, and that way they'll get emails of upcoming events. And then when we do a discovery summit, which again uh, is not all that often, uh, usually once once a, you know 12 to 18 months time period, but they will get notification of that asking if they'd want to be involved in some way. And there's a chart, uh, flow chart on on the website that explains exactly how they can get involved. Okay. Uh, what is uh, a current project that you're working on other than events is it would you say that find is exclusively focused on these events now or is there anything else that you're interested in doing with it uh yeah as far as the find itself i mean i get pulled in a number of directions um you know sometimes wearing my find hat as well we've been asked to help uh, a host or sponsor you know panels at georgetown for example for students looking to get companies so i'm kind of a pass through at times sometimes in my find hat sometimes in other hats as well um, but as far as, so as far as what I'm working on, it's always a little bit tricky for me because of non-disclosure agreements, you know, both with the government in my advisory roles and then with companies I consult for. But, but what I can do is I can briefly mention five or six functional areas that I'm currently working on, and that will maybe give you a, a bit, or, uh, bit of my current um, and what's on my radar. And yeah. uh, the first would be uh, geospatial 3D mapping using both commercial and government in imagery uh, to provide to warfighters with the close-up kind of intelligence that you know, he or she would need to attack a target. So looking at things like attack angles for snipers, where shadows may fall on a target, where line of sight uh, is, 
uh, it's going to be the best place for line of sight for communications, for example, in denied areas and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, second main area will be shoring up our IT and our cybersecurity practices um, with the government. There are a number of security protocols that still today simply are not being followed in certain places in the national security community. And this is often because the higher-ups don't understand that shortcuts have been taken over time and some things that have been built uh, for expediency's sake. Or those that were building them simply thought it didn't apply to that activity, but it's subsequently the way they built it left up a vulnerability elsewhere for the enterprise. So working within the government and then also with vendors who have solutions um, to bring ideas together on how to shore up our, our security on the IT and cyber side. Um, a third area would be human performance assessment, particularly where new technology has been introduced into a workflow or an ops center. Uh, so often technology is compared with other technology um, when an ops center is looking to improve their workflow and one vendor will say, well, look, our tech's better than theirs and they'll compare their apples right. to apples. And then success is claimed if, if a, the best technology is acquired. But if the people don't actually use that technology in the center, or if it, right. if it doesn't improve their work performance, the human performance in the center, then it doesn't perform the overall, it doesn't improve the overall performance. And that's really not a win for the government. And that's happened a lot of times in the government. Yeah. So uh, helping PMs uh, show through non-anecdotal objective performance uh, measures how there's an increase in proficiency and um, you know, how they're doing their job better, meeting their mission objectives is kind of a focus uh, in that area. And then a fourth area would be uh, research and development uh, for sensors, advanced analytic platforms, um, communications devices, advances in waveform technology, and a bunch of technical stuff that I really don't understand but know how to put the right people together that do and, and let them make the magic. Uh, and then the fifth would be uh, the use of open source information for indications and warnings of enemy uh, technical advancements um, for anticipatory intelligence regarding potential global calamities like epidemic outbreaks or food shortages or things like that. And then even to, um, to the side of the spectrum where you're looking at financial data uh, to provide uh, warning for geopolitical activities by various state actors. Uh, that's a new fascinating area that the government's you know, starting to get into. So, you know, beyond those, I'm, I'm looking at things like drone, counter-drone advancements, uh, various methods and technology for uh, the future of clandestine operations in our newly, you know, interconnected world that makes undercover activities so difficult, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, projects that people may have heard of, like Project Maven or certain DARPA programs throughout the community and so on. That's a good kind of you know, quick overview of, of stuff. I'm yeah, that's, that's excellent. Would you say that from um, all the speaker events that have happened in the last year or two, that you've heard uh, some, a couple of recurring themes um, of, from the government side of, of things that uh, maybe industry needs to know uh, as they're trying to problem solve? Well, um, you know, I would say, unfortunately, the always uh, ever reoccurring theme is how can we work with you better? That's what industry is asking government because there's so many roadblocks to, you know, getting in with a good idea or a contract vehicle that actually can accommodate them or move. And usually the government speakers, um, uh, you know, have some ready-made 
go-tos that people hear about and read about in the news, but, but often don't move quite like they, they say they do. You know, for example, SOCOM's talked a lot about the SoftWorks um, facility down in Tampa. And it is true that that is a great way to simply walk in the door and show what you have, and that that has checked that box. However, there are very, very few actual uh, results you can point to where someone went into SoftWorks and now it's in a program of record with SOCOM or with the government. And that's kind of the, the, the dirty secret, but it, it's true and people need to know it. You know, it's just not, we're not quite where we need to be with innovation centers and, you know, rapid acquisition um, where companies can walk in and say, here's what we got, and then they're on contract within a month or two. They're usually having to be a sub or they're having to get into, a, you know, a longer cycle. Um, as the, the main platforms for, for innovation funds still remain some of these annual calls uh, in the various agencies. So that, that is a recurring uh, frustration uh, on both sides of the equation, and that you know, keeps coming up um, with industry asking how can we more quickly work with you uh, in the government. Um, the, the, the funding in the community actually is, is not that bad. I know everybody always says they don't have money, and they're supposed to say that, but you know, of everywhere that you look in our government, um, the intelligence community and the special ops community are probably funded the best um, um, as far as, um, you know, what those levels still are. So there's still a lot of opportunity. And, you know, um, you know, folks talk to folks in the community, folks like you or, or me or others, and, and get a better sense of where to target their time. There's a lot of success to be had. Uh, so the opportunity is there. It's just not quite as quickly, um, you know, beholden as, as people would like it to be. Sure. Okay. What? Uh, give me a book that's on your nightstand that you'd recommend. A book? <laughs> For, yeah. um, professionally speaking. Yeah, sure. Um, gosh, I got a lot of outside reading, but um, I can't say I'm reading a, a book in my work area right now. Um Gosh, I have to get back to you on that. Okay, that's fine. Uh, what about a, a podcast or an app? Related to intelligence special ops, I, I, again, I mean, because a lot of this is behind closed doors, I'd say that uh, um, on, the, on the net, a, uh, something people can uh, get involved with is uh, the Vulcan platform that SOCOM has put out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure yeah, if you're familiar with that, but that, that's – it's a great initiative. It's a great idea. It's not widely publicized. In fact, I'm trying right. to help them get the word out because a lot of people around this area don't know about it. It's more people down in Tampa. Uh, one of the big yeah, I've, I've interacted with them a little bit. I, I'd like to get them on the podcast and, and broadcast that more widely. Yeah, yeah. One of the big army um, organizations just put out a, a press release. I think it was last week saying they've adopted Vulcan as their platform as well now to uh, to look for technology and capability. And as you know, just for the listeners, you can go on Vulcan as a vendor, you can sign up, uh, get a login, and populate a page and say, you know, here's what we do, here's what we offer. You can put in information in the way they want to see it, quad charts and pictures. And then that is a platform where it can be shared. And then if you're a government user, you log in and you can see all that's shared. If you're a company, you can you can only see what, you know, what they let you see. But if you're the government user, you can see all the stuff put on there. And then you can ping those companies and say, I like what, you know, what this is or what it appears to be, give me more information. And it's a, uh, it's a way to reach a lot more people than they'd normally reach. So 
There are a couple other platforms like that, but Vulcan's the best that I've seen so far, and, and I'm a, a big supporter of those kind of platforms where you can easily, um, you know, connect with others across the transom, so to speak. Yeah, I'll have to take a deeper dive into it. I've, I've heard about it quite a bit, and I haven't yet logged in, so I'm going to um, – I'm going to do that, and I'll, I'll reach out to them and see if we can interview them for the podcast because I think that'd be really terrific. Yeah. Um, okay. So no books, no podcasts, but uh, Vulcan is a good one. We'll put that in the show notes. And then what's a what's a call to action? We've already kind of talked about how people can join the find, but uh, if it, let's say I'm a transitioning veteran and I want to know what to do next with my life, what would it, what would you tell me? Yeah. Well, I mean, to the book uh, question or research question, I think part of it is the nature of the, I mean, there are a lot of good kind of academic books or historical books or fun reads, but as far as, you know, looking to get involved in a community, partly that's the reason for that is, is the best way to do that is not through books. It's, it's through the associations that exist, you know, yeah. um, like yours. Um, you know, I get a host of emails constantly from, uh, those that you know well, the Armed Forces Communication and Electronics Association from APSEA, APSEA with its Signal Intelligence Magazine and chapter events, uh, the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, INSA, uh, the National Defense Industrial Association, NDIA, uh, the Technology Training Corporation, TTC, uh, the Defense Strategies Institute, DSI. I mean, there's a host of really good associations like this that are constantly putting out papers, having conferences, putting out uh, daily news blasts. Uh, and really, uh, that is the better way, I think, to kind of see what's on people's radars, um, talk to those people. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the flow of, of the community. And the special ops side, there's some as well, but they don't have quite as many um, uh, as the intelligence community does. Um, but... Um, you know, again, the community is just so big. You could spend all day trying to read through all these papers and and uh, you know, be getting on their industry task forces and so forth. So it's really just talking to people who follow it and who are in the community and and who know. And and that would be my advice to someone getting involved: is you find some someone you can trust that that really understands this groundwork and has been in the community for a while that can help you navigate it because you could just get stuck um, drowning in information. Um, but it's out there. That information is out there. You know, so I'd say, you know, come to connect with you, come to one of your events, come to a find event, and then whoever you see there, just start networking with them and, and kind of narrow in and where your niche area is and where that best fit is. The folks that don't do that, that just, you know, do some Internet research on their own and say, well, that looks like an interesting program. We'll apply for that. I've found they just waste a lot of time and, you know, I'll run into people who, We'll say they've wasted two, three years kind of poking around on their own, and they'll ask me a question that to me is just second nature because I come from the community, that, but to them took a couple of years to figure out. So I'm sure you have that experience constantly, Graham. So um, it's just networking in the community because there's a lot of information, but at the end of the day, the, as far as the people in the community, it's, you know, it's smaller than, uh, than you'd think. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for uh, giving up your time for the, the podcast and, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions, and uh, we'll put links in the notes for people to, to find the find and to start attending more events uh, with you guys and um, to get involved. So thanks so much, Lewis, and uh, I'll sign off. Yeah, thanks, Cam, for having me. Always good talking to you.